How will the U.S. respond to a recent drone attack this past Sunday that took the lives of three service members and injured dozens more? Well, with us, Dr. Glenn Dewar, Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University, to talk about it. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. So what uh, what are we looking at as far as the initial implication of what has happened? This is, this is relatively unprecedented uh, for an Iranian uh, attack of this nature, or at least in, in recent uh, times, isn't it? Not really. Um, the, the noteworthy point is, is really the death toll of the three American service members, and, and really my heart goes out to their families mm-hmm. because this is such a, a difficult situation. Uh, and with this situation in the Middle East, this is since October the 7th, if we go back to Hamas's brutal invasion of Israel, this is the 165th different attack on a U.S. base or allied base in the Middle East by militias uh, backed by Iran from Syria and Iraq. And what makes this one uh, particularly problematic is that these uh, troops are based in Jordan, uh, another country that has been relatively stable uh, for many decades, uh, signed a peace agreement with Israel in 1994 and has been very useful for the United States and its allies in rooting out ISIS. Uh, often U.S. troops have been based uh, at Tower 22, which is the location that was hit uh, in, the, in the very northeast of Jordan, which is right on the border with Syria and Iraq. So it's strategically very, very important, but this uh, attack has really uh, burst the bubble um, and brought home some terrible news for all of us. And now we have to think through options of response. So let's think through some of that. What were what are some options, do you think, for our nation to respond to this attack? It's worth zooming out momentarily because this is connected to Hamas's invasion of Israel, Hezbollah, another terrorist organization operating primarily in southern Lebanon, has fired rockets and missiles into Israel. The Houthis, also called Ansar Allah in Yemen, have been firing upon U.S. targets and Israeli targets and uh, other allied targets in the Red Sea and into Israel. And then we've seen um, these militias here in Syria and Iraq. And so this is uh, a pattern that's all put together and then backed by Iran as well. And so uh, the Biden administration has talked about a surgical strike on uh, militias um, uh, operating in the area. Uh, many Republicans have said this uh, type of action is not strong enough, some, some wider message needs to be delivered to Iran itself. But I think the the challenge for all of the sides involved, people speaking into it, is uh, the danger of escalation Mm -hmm. and uh, creating something larger. But there are different ways of looking at it. On the one hand, if you don't respond decisively, as I mentioned, this is the 165th attack. These things just keep coming. and, And so something has to stop. Uh, Iran also doesn't want anything wider itself, but it is the one that has been funding this behind the scenes. And uh, to some degree, they've probably lost control of the ability to uh, control the militias. But um, they are the funding source. They do provide the weaponry. And so they will still be able to do something. And so this is the the challenge for decision makers. Do you hit 
Iran in some way very, very hard as President Reagan did in the 1980s, or if we think of President Trump's neutralization of General Qasem Soleimani in January of 2020, that's another type of an option that would send a very, very clear message. Uh, President Clinton did something similar in a different circumstance in Iraq with cruise missiles. So Mm -hmm. we have a long history of these types of things. The, The question is, What's an appropriate response, especially now that U.S. service members have, have died? So, I, and forgive my ignorance, I, I knew that um, there has been many, many conflicts in in that area. There's all it all seems it's ubiquitous; they're everywhere. But 165 attacks does is that in, involving American forces, or is this attack that we're talking about this most recent with the three deaths from American forces is that unique or is all these attacks that you're talking about involving American forces there are American or allied bases in the in uh, the Middle East and what uh, time frame are we Iraq, talking about since October the 7th okay. of 2023 so it's yeah. something that's happened uh, and it's been ongoing uh, there are several bases in Iraq for example that have faced fairly regular attacks, uh, and um, some of the troops have faced traumatic brain injury mm. uh, as a result. This one is, is different because it was a drone attack uh, 12 miles into Jordan, and the report is that a U.S. drone went out and was coming back at the same time that this enemy drone was coming in, and the system that reports these types of flights in didn't see the difference between the U.S. and the enemy drone coming in. And so it delivered a, a bomb that then killed the service members, and uh, there have been at least 34 injuries, but the, the number seems like it will be growing as well. So it's the type of thing with advanced technology and, and smaller technology in terms of drones that is really pro- proving to be very, very dangerous and now has uh, a yes. death toll with it. Yeah, and Glenn, definitely we need to be praying for wisdom for our government and wisdom for those making these crucial decisions. Um, You mentioned escalation. If it was to escalate the war in the area, what would that scenario look like? Do you think would it end up being U.S. and Israel against Iran, or what would that look like? It's a very important question, and it's, it's hard to know because there are a lot of different disparate pieces. So, for example, there are civil wars in Syria and Yemen Mm -hmm. and uh, Sudan and Libya that are all in the neighborhood. There's the attack on Israel from the southwest, from Gaza, but we're also seeing uh, rockets and missiles from southern Lebanon. And as I mentioned, we have uh, the militia attacks primarily from Syria and Iraq, but beyond that, uh, there's the Houthis in Yemen, and there are uh, groups in both Iran and Pakistan that have been causing issues in their neighboring countries. And so there's a lot that's pieced together here. Typically, on one side, we'd see Israel with its allies, the United States, probably the NATO countries would generally fall uh, closer, although I'm, I'm, you know, it wouldn't be a NATO-led operation. And then on the other side, you have Iran, uh, and its respective militias across different parts of the Middle East. But behind them is both Russia and China. And so there's the the danger of escalating into something much wider 
I don't think any of the major powers want that. They don't want to be embroiled in something significant in the Middle East. But that's where uh, decisions have to be made over, you know, what is our strategic interest in in the Middle East, and then what do we want to do as a means of of either staying and then uh, stifling uh, Iran's movements forward. I, I know speculation in times like this is a dangerous thing, but in the uh, in the years leading up to the 9-11 attacks, we had a, a handful of things that happened um, both here in America and in some bases abroad that it gave the impression that, that some of the terrorist groups were kind of testing the water to see what our response would be, what we were capable of doing, what we would tolerate, et cetera, before the, the major attack – I'm I'm just I'm I'm very very curious as to why a nation like Iran would be so bold right now is to be uh, organi- organizing funding uh, supplying weaponry for the for these attacks. What is it that they are trying to accomplish? Is does it look like there is something that they're trying to to think about of a bigger scale situation further down the road, or are they just poking the bear? Yeah, it's a very incisive question because I think it's multifaceted. On the one hand, Iran is far weaker than we imagine. Uh, Iran is about two-thirds of its population are ethnically and linguistically Persian. But around its periphery, there are a lot of minority groups that don't like the central government. We've seen massive protests. If you recall the the killing of Masa Amini, mm-hmm. the 22-year-old woman that was killed by the morality yeah. police because she yeah. wasn't wearing her hijab correctly, she's of Kurdish background, and so a lot of ethnic minorities, uh, Sunnis in particular, are unhappy with things. And so um, Iran is in some ways acting out in the international arena as a mechanism to uh, try and quiet its internal dissent. But it's also Mm. taken advantage of a lot of just opportunities that have arisen in the Middle East. So, for example, the government of Iraq now is very, very uh, strongly allied with Iran. It's Shia-led as well. And we've seen other governments propped up and helped by Iran, uh, notably Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Mm. Uh, We've seen uh, similar things with the Houthis in, in Yemen and support to various rebels in uh, eastern Saudi Arabia or Bahrain or elsewhere that have significant Shia minority populations. So some of this is really Iran trying to expand itself, trying to become the old Persian empire of old. But it's also, I think, um, a means of dispelling some of its internal dissension because it does have a lot of weaknesses um, and, and issues internally. Mm-hmm. So, Glenn, here at this program that we have, we like to bring a biblical perspective to what's happening in the news. As you place the Bible next to the headlines that we're talking about, what insights do you bring out? What, what can we learn? Well, certainly it's a time of Matthew 5, 9, peacemakers. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will become children of God. And when, when Jesus spoke those words on the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, this is an important one because it is active in its nature. It's one thing to, to kind of peace keep or maintain peace, but this is an active uh, peacemaking. And I think um, in the Middle East, there's been a lot of 
really good progress towards that end. Uh, the Abraham Accords from 2020, for example, did an awful lot to move the Middle East in a much better direction. And I think the, the one of the saddest parts since October the 7th of 2023 is that uh, it's derailed that process where mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia looked like it would even sign on with Israel. Uh, but mm-hmm. Jesus also uh, reminds us in Matthew 24, Luke 21, about uh, times of the end of the age, um, wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. These are, these are birth pangs, Jesus describes them. And so in a Genesis 2 and 3 fallen world, these types of things shouldn't surprise us, but mm. they still sadden us at the same time and cause us to go to the Lord in prayer, advocating on the part of those that are caught up in these conflicts, and especially for the service members, yes. the family members who have lost their loved ones. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Dr. Dewar, thank you. Uh, thank you for your insight. Thank you for staying on top of this and spending some time with us and giving us uh, very, very important information and insight as to what's going on. We, we deeply appreciate you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.